In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. The Spirit calls the boys. And brothers, please listen. The Spirit is calling men. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God revealed in Jesus is saying, come out. Your Father is here. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. We salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard, I'm here with our producer, co-host, and good friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing awesome. Hey, just want to say happy anniversary tomorrow. I know, 27 years. Yeah, good job. Of total hard work, but yeah, uh, reaping Shanna, the rewards man. of it now. My wife is a saint. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize how hard I am to live with. I'm glad you're obedient to her and you take care yes, of her needs. Yes, I do. I do. Hey, man, I'm really excited uh, about our guest today. Uh, we're going to interview him about a book he wrote, but of his book, John Eldridge writes, God used this book in a powerful way in my own masculine journey when I was searching for healing that Gordon describes on the pages. This book inspired John Eldridge to write Wild at Heart. So I'm excited to to interview our author of this book today. But before we get into that, do you have a man word for me? I do. And I'm gonna guess it. Do I'm it. gonna go with one. I'm gonna go with the word masculine. Whoa. Was you're, I wrong? You got it. I got it. Yeah. Yes. Buddy. Yeah. You're getting too predictable. You need to change yeah. your game. I was dude. just having a conversation about You need this. to change your game. I can't because I like it. So Otherwise, I would just try to hide it from you just for giggles, but I'm not going to do that. For well, giggles. in the book, Gordon talks about a, a tennis match that his buddy beat him and said, I knew I was going to beat you before we started. And I and I feel the same way about you, man. <laughs> I know that when I step up the plate, I'm going to hit a home run off you. Uh, so you need to change your yeah. game. Well, You need to read this book. It'll help you. I know every day I see you that you're still not going to have hair on your head, so I'm pretty confident about that. Yeah, but you're still going to be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we better stop. Uh, we better stop before we have to uh, repent. Oh yeah. Oh man. Hey, so so you got your man word. Explain your man word. Well, masculine is like the qualities of a man, and uh, to say that masculine is toxic, we've talked about this yeah. before. Uh, I was just chatting with some guys about this yesterday. It's 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 a good thing, and if we need to look at it as a good thing to be masculine, 
Biblical the, masculinity is not toxic. Yeah, and we but, need to take that back. Yes, correct. But that, so, yeah, that's that is a true statement. So, maleness, male malehood, maleness is toxic. Right. Biblical masculinity is not. So yeah, I appreciate there you go, that, buddy. Hey man, I want to brag about today's guest, Gordon Dalby. He's seventy four years old from Santa Barbara, California. He's in the same area code that I grew up in. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been married to his wife, Mary, for 29 years, 30 years this February. Gordon's passion is to watch for what God is doing in the lives of others and bless it, to be an agent of his healing in the world and to help others discover their, d- discover their call or God's call on their lives and equip them to fulfill it. He's been the author, speaker, counselor for the last 30 years, authoring Many, many books, including Sons of the Father, Fight Like a Man, Pure Sex, and the book we're going to talk about today called Healing the Masculine Soul, How God Restores Men to Real Manhood. It's great to have you on your show, Gordon. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you and your audience. Yeah, I'll tell you, we had a few technical difficulties getting you on here, but here we are right now, and we're ready to rock uh, and roll. Hey, yeah. How did Jesus do it without the... Uh Internet stuff going on a lot, a lot better. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot easier, a lot simpler. So, hey, man, before we uh, bring you on and have you uh, have you a- a- answer some questions about the book, you want to take a few minutes and tell our guests a little bit more about yourself, things you enjoy, a little bit yeah. of your history. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that when you when you emailed me about that. Some interesting facts about me. Uh, my grandfather could not read or write. Oh my wow! My grandfather was was an illiterate steel worker outside of Philadelphia. And um, he grew up in a very rough, tough, to put it mildly, uh, area uh, where your fists are what mattered and then gave you power. And he was not very kind to his kids. But my dad was able to, uh, to leave that during World War II, became a, um, uh, an officer in the Navy and decided to stay in the Navy afterwards. So um, it's interesting that my journey as, as, a, as, a, as a warrior, I'm, my ministry in the body largely is in spiritual warfare, but I thought it, I was kind of disqualified in a way. My dad is a career officer, but uh, I thought, well, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to be a, a guy in, in fatigues and walking uh, with a gun. But uh, the Lord later showed me that, no, that, that he had created me uh, to be his warrior in his kingdom and to awaken men to the real war that uh, distorts, uh, gets distorted in the world when, as we're talking about, toxic men uh, get, the, get the perspective. Wow, that's so, really good. That, that's kind of my back. My dad was a, a Quaker. I don't understand about that. Uh, Quakers are not too keen on, uh, shall we say, a professional religious cast. Uh, I often thought my dad wondered where did he go wrong that his son became a pastor. Uh, but because uh, he took me, he would take me to church though, as a boy. And I think, I think back on it now that, that his father uh, would take my dad to church. He told me and drop him off. And he wouldn't stay, but he dropped that off at church. And was faithful because my dad had a little pendant of 11 consecutive years of Sunday school he'd gone to that his dad took him to. And I went, so I would go to church with my dad. My mother didn't go much, and my two sisters. But uh, I would go to, my dad would take me to church. And so I, I grew up thinking that church is a masculine thing. It's what fathers and sons do together. Imagine my surprise when I became a pastor and looked around, and, and two-thirds of the people were, were women. I said, now, like, like, what's wrong with those people? This, this picture, because it was not my picture growing up. I realize now that's what God had done for me. He had rooted me, my masculinity, in a sense of, of Christian community, so that um, I could never—it it was part of who I am, and it was therefore qualified, shall we say, to redeem or to bring, uh, not, 
to bring men into the church in a way that affirms our masculinity, as, as my dad did, because if my dad's doing it, hey, it's certified for men. Uh, and so that was been, been, and of course, in that process, I tried to be a good boy, you know, and fit in with all the things that were expected of me, and then be kind and nice and sweet and gentle. And I remember a, uh, one woman, a young graduate student lady, pulled me aside, and a feminist lady who had, uh, I didn't agree with all her stuff, but she had some things to say. She said, Gordon, we wanted men to get sensitive, but we didn't want them to get passive. Mm. What happened? What yeah. happened? Yeah. And I knew right then, that somebody knew right then, that is a question I must answer if I'm going to be a legitimate leader of men in the church. What happened? What made us so passive? That, that is to say, not to have agendas of our own, to, to concede our agendas to, to women, quite frankly. And uh, I began to realize as I looked at myself and, and, and other men that I knew, that uh, we did not have fathers at home who, uh, shall we say, exercise presence. Uh, my dad was present at home, and I thank God for that. He was a faithful husband, and he stayed in the home. But, but it was very difficult for him, with his background, certainly, to, uh, to assert himself in a positive way, shall we say. He never had a father who could say, well done, I'm proud of you, son, or anything like that. So he's, the men of the World War II generation, Depression-era boys, they, they struggled hard. I'm so thankful that my, God gave, my dad gave me uh, what he gave me, but he, he ah, it's just very sad that he and his generation, uh, the World War and everything, kind of co-opted what I would call uh, the, 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 the real war that, that, that Jesus came to reveal to us. But that, that, that was left to me, and, and I, I, I confess that during my young days, I'm, I'm, my father, why don't you say, why can't he say I'm proud of you? Why can't he say I love you? You know, what's wrong with him? And I began to hate my father, and the whole group of, all of us hippies were rejecting anything masculine, football, anything that had to do with traditional masculinity. What we really were doing was saying we want a father we didn't get, who could just embrace mm. us, hug us, affirm us, tell us we're doing well, encourage us, and we didn't have that. So we're going to make you pay for that, Dad. We're going to trash your flag. We're going to trash your values. My dad ate Wheaties, drove a Chevy 6, you know, lived in suburbia. I was crashing communes, drove a beat-up old Volkswagen in granola. I mean, hair down to my shoulders. My dad was a career military officer. I mean, anything I could do to get back at him in a passive way. Instead of just say, Dad, what happened? Why didn't you give me this out? Of course, then I ought to conclude that he didn't love me. Mm. I mean, you, you know, somebody you tell him. And uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine, a rabbi, actually, in town when I was passing. We became good friends and that regularly. And I was kind of mouthing off to him about how why my dad didn't love me. And he, said, why did, and he was a very wise guy. He said, uh, why do you think your dad didn't, uh, didn't say he loved you? Well, he just loved his military more than me. He said, no, I don't think that's it. He said, well, why? Because, well, he just, he just didn't love me. That's And we finally, finally, finally came to the place. And I told him a little bit about my dad and his father, the illiterate steel worker who beat his kids. And suddenly the lights went on like, boom. He said, now, now you ready to tell me why your dad didn't say he loved you? I said, he never got it. Uh... He never had the love to give me. Here I am beating on this, um, this, this um, uh, faucet, and then the, 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 the water main is broken. And I'm beating on the faucet. And the water's coming out, so I'm hating my father. And realizing, wait a minute, here's a guy who never got it to give, and I'm angry at him. I, 
I should respect this guy because I want to live long in the land I'm about to occupy, as the scripture says. And that was a whole, uh, well, it was an epiphany for me. It was a turning point in my life. I realized, wait a minute, my dad loved me. I'm a father now. I know you, you can't help it. But he just couldn't express it because he didn't know how. No one expressed it to him. And he was a deprived little boy in many ways, but he's a marvelous man who pushed through untold uh, hardships I will never have to experience because of his dedication to his family. I'm so grateful for that. But definitely he left me, as I have left my son, with some gaps because I'm not Jesus. I, 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 he's got some things to work on, too. But that, that revelation that my dad didn't give me the love I needed, not because he didn't love me, not because I was a bad boy or bad in his eyes. He just didn't have it to give because he never got it from his father. Mm. And when I began to, the, the Lord began to show me, I said, I want to show you your father the way I see him. Are you ready for that, Gordon? Wow. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'll tell you a story. I went to visit him right after my mother had died back in North Carolina. I was about 50 years old. And I knew he'd been, been hurt badly by his dad, and I wanted to reconcile with him so badly. And we were watching a, a, a Duke basketball game. I went to Duke, and we were like, at the halftime, I thought, this is, gonna, this is my chance. This is my only chance I'm going to get in my life. I, I turned to my dad, and I thought, how am I going to get, get him to talk? Because he, he was a very quiet sort of guy. I said, Dad, tell me about your father. And, so I, tell me about your, and my dad turned to me with an angry look on his face. He made a fist. And he said, my father was a hard man. And if you did something he didn't like, he hit you. And he jerked his hand in a punch. He says, and when he hit you, it hurt. And I was just sitting there absolutely stunned. And I put my hand on my father's hand, that hand that had spanked me. God bless him, you know. He just did the best he knew. And I said, Dad, that must have hurt you terribly. And you know what happened? Something that had never happened before once in the present, I cried. Now, for those men listening, that's like water that comes out of your eye. And it comes right <laughs> down your face. And if you're a real man, it'll happen, trust me. Because that's why, one way God has provided to heal us. I cried. I didn't cry. I bawled. I sobbed. My body racked with pain. It wasn't just my pain from my dad hurting me. It was his pain from his father beating him and his father's pain. And it came down through the generations to me. And the Lord said, you, my son. I have chosen to put a stop to this in the generations of your family, and I have chosen you to go out there in the world and put a stop to it as I lead you in all generations. So, so Gordon, so you wrote this book, Healing the Masculine Soul, How God Restores Men to Real Manhood. And now it says you wrote the book in 1988, but then you republished it in 2003. Is that correct? I did, because I thought, well, you know, I, I got updated, and I thought, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Well, I have a lot of examples of, uh, you know, men who failed in their masculinity, and you've got leaders, you know, military leaders, political leaders, pastors, all of them who fell to sexual temptations and, and, and lust and all kinds of things. I thought, okay, Lord, I don't know if I went. I, all I do is pick up the newspaper one day and say, no problem. Fifteen years later, no problem. The, the, the examples of all the same doggone thing was going on. And, of course, because we, we do have a sin nature, and it's going to happen, and and uh, I realize this is sadly going to be too easy to update. Yeah. Because little has changed, and I I have to confess when that book came out, and you know, um, 
Jim Dobson got a hold of it. No, not Jim. <laughs> Shirley Dobson got a hold of it. Because when I asked Jim when I was on Folks on the Family, I, no, I'm curious, how did you find the book? Well, Shirley got oh, you know, The women get this book, <laughs> yeah. they say, they want to get their men healed because they're the first ones to suffer the consequences of a broken man as a woman. And they're, yeah. they, some, were, some were a little you know, uh, put off that I was writing he- healing the medicine. So don't you realize how men have hurt women? I said, I think I do. I, I will never know, quite frankly. My wife's trying to explain it to me after the Me Too movement. I'm astonished. I'm embarrassed to say. I, said, I may never know how deeply men have hurt women, but I know that the only the best thing I can do for you as a wound, men, woman wounded by a man is to heal your man. Yeah, that's what I've come to do. And if you want to get see men heal, which I do, then I, I think you'll you'll find a lot to, to bless you in my book. Well, it was interesting reading your book. You you re you republished it in '03. Now here we are, 16 years later, in 2019, and it, nothing has changed. I was shocked. Now in your book, it was. I, it's really interesting. I I got to ask you a question because I read about 50 books a year. And your book, uh, every book's different, and the authors are different, and uh, you have 15 chapters in your book. And when I opened your book in the table of contents and then read the book, I felt like I was at a buffet table. So I had, ah. a, bunch of, I had a bunch of foods I liked, but they all were kind of different. different now. So mm-hmm. your, your, your table of contents almost feels like free-floating and, and not, not, not like you have a pattern. Like each chapter yeah, stands no, alone. No, is, that, is that on purpose? My wife would say, "Amen." His pattern does not include cleaning up his office, and <laughs> drives her nuts. But that's that's the blessing. But yes, you're quite right. I mean, I have, a, for example, I have a chapter in that book and two other books of mine about homosexuality and the father wound. I have never yet seen another book that attempted to look at the entire perspective of manhood and wounding and stuff like that. That has a chapter that deals explicitly directly with the father wound and how that. Is, it, it generates uh, homosexual stuff in, in men. I've never seen that anywhere else. I have chapters in that, in that book that, um, you know, a new kind of warfare, and uh, I have to do that because my father was World War II. When I was a boy, I grew up playing soldier in the back lot, throwing apples at each other's hand grenades, and we played war all the time. And I wanted to be a warrior desperately like my father because that's what men are. They define manhood. And when it became time, I, it just wasn't an option for me and I thought, I guess I'm, I'm never going to be a man. And that was when Jesus began to show me, no, I have appointed you to, uh, to reveal to you the true war that's, that's bringing about all the other wars. So, um, yeah, the, the book has a lot of different aspects here yes. uh, about that. Well, and I'll tell you what, there were f- four chapters that really, really impacted me. And I, I want to ask you about those chapters because we could, sure. if we spent the whole time on the fifteen chapters, we would be here forever. But your right. your chapter one hit me between the eyes, and there are a couple of things I really loved about it. But but that chapter stood out. The chapter is called "The Lion Speaks," and oh, a, yeah. t- can you tell us about the lion dream your pastor friend shared oh, with you and the goodness. significance oh, of that? Goodness. Yeah, I got a phone call before I wrote the book from a good pastor friend. We were prayer partners, and he said, "Gordon, the most amazing thing happened to me." Guy came, one of my prisoners came to my office. He's all messed up his shirt and hadn't shaved in a couple of days. He flopped in a chair. What's wrong? He says, I don't know. My life's falling apart. The doctor says I might have cancer. My wife is angry at me. And he said, well, well gee, he says, look like you haven't slept in, in days. I haven't. He says, in fact, I keep having a nightmare. And it's the same nightmare. Night after night, oh my, that, that really got my attention. Because I know when, when God wants to speak with a dream, he's going to do it again and again until you wake up. Wake yep. up. 
So I said, well, what's the, what's the nightmare? He said, well, what was the nightmare? He said, well, it's, it's pretty simple, but it's terrifying because I'm running. I'm being chased by a lion. And the lion has chased me across this open field, and I can feel his breath behind me. And he's hot, his hot breath on me, and I'm scared to death. I'm sweating, and I'm panicking. He says, I, get, I, can't, I just can't run him. I fall down. The lion's face comes right up to me. Comes right up to me, and I wake up. And my friend said, well, that's it? He says, well, I guess that's it, but I, I, I have what's this for? He says, I tell you. And my friend was a very creative uh, Christian. He says, let's do this. Let's go back into dream. I mean, many Bible, the Bible talks about dreams and God interpreting them and peering in dreams. So let's go back and remember the part where the lion's in your face, you're sweating, you cannot walk another step on your own, and ask Jesus to be there with you and the lion. And he says, okay, so I'm running. And he got real scared again. I'm running. I got Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He could hardly say Jesus. He was so scared. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. And finally he burst out with the name Jesus. And he jerked back in his chair like a, a bomb of light had burst off in his, his, his mind and in the room. And my friend said, what happened? He said, that's amazing. He said, in that second I said, Jesus, I asked him, who are you and what are you doing in my dream? And... <laughs> and he answered me. He answered my even my friend was like, "Why did he answer you? Oh, whoa, what happened? What did he say?" He said, "Hold on, brothers. I am your courage and your strength. Why are you running away from me?" Boom. Yep. Boom. Boom. Why are you running away from by your masculinity and your strength? What is it? about masculinity and the kind of courage and stuff that, that frightens you enough to make you run away from it. That's a question that I knew my generation had to answer. And I knew that the large part of the answer rests in the fact that masculine strength in my father's generation was a matter of shooting guns at people. And God bless them, if they hadn't fought that war here on the West Coast, we would not be speaking English right now, okay? If they yeah. had done their duty for the country and for their sons and grandsons after them. I'm so grateful for that. However, uh, there is another war going on that prompts these other kinds of wars. And uh, they were not able to tell us about that. It, the Lord, for some reason, had not revealed that fully in that generation. So that, that was kind of my uh, calling. But as far as um, what, what makes us afraid of masculinity is that these men fought this world-class world war and that's the standard. That's the gold standard. And we're never going to have a world war. And most of us are not even going to put on brown uniforms and go off and fight somewhere. Some went to Vietnam, but that, that was a very small portion uh, compared to all the men. So the option to masculinity is just not going to be there for us. And so these guys hold all the aces. The fathers, the old men, hold all the aces. We were in the war and you weren't. Ha ha. You don't get to be masculine. So we hated them, and we that's why we renounced everything masculine. And so, but now, then suddenly we began to look around and hate Ashbury. I remember I lived up in San Francisco with the hippies. You know, oh, the great hippie, you know, kingdom. You know, all peace and light and love. Six months after, then it became a drug den. The prostitutes and the, and the, the drug mm. dealers had taken the place over. You know what? What happened? Uh, the, we had no fathers, and we we was this gaping father wound in us, and we didn't know anywhere to go to find healing for it. And that's when it struck us, wait a minute, did Jesus call God Father? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Oh, my. Then I began to think. When I finally said, this is literally hell. It's destroying my life and all the guys I know. Um, there must be a father somehow. And we all, of course, you go to cults and the father cult, or churches, the great authoritarian preacher. Oh, he's going to be my substitute. Dad. It doesn't work because it leaves you a little boy again, you know. And that's what you see in the totalitarian regimes like in South Korea and stuff like that, where the boys are not given fatherly love. So they look to the, 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 uh, the you know, demagogue to, to run the show as a substitute. That's what Hitler did. All, most of his, his, his soldiers were, uh, were the uh, orphans of, of World War I uh, men. And they, they looked to Hitler as the fatherland. Okay, so, um, so what happened was that, that, that we had no place to go for fathers. And it wasn't until I began to read the Bible with that perspective and, and realized that said, you have many teachers, but you don't have any fathers, what, yeah. Je- what uh, uh, John says. So they, even though 2,000 years ago, talking to the people, and uh, Lord, show us the Father. That is all we need. In John 14, the disciples come to Jesus. And I began to look for that perspective. Once you get that perspective on things, that God is the Father who has chosen his Son to come and reveal the Father to us, I, I will set you, I've come to set you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. So Jesus just assumed that sooner or later in your life, certainly as a man, you're going to come to that place, you realize what I'm missing is not another woman to sleep with, not another beer, not another ball game to watch, not another thousands of dollars to make. What you're missing is your Father until you get real and deal with that. And the only, you, you, you're going to go down, you will miss, literally, what your true father has called you to do in this world. And so it's going to take for you some serious humility to say, okay, I remember when I got on my knees in my, my prayer closet. I remember that day as clear as a bell. I said, okay, Jesus, no, no, okay, Jesus, okay, Jesus, I'll call you Jesus. That's okay. You're a nice guy and all like that. Jesus, but Father, wow, to call God Father. Yikes, can I really do that? And because all those other images would come to my mind. And uh, 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 they weren't always pleasant. And I would say, all right, here we go. Father God. And I waited, didn't get struck with lightning or anything. And I said, okay, let's go. Father God, if you're my father, and I'm, I'm a smart guy, so at least I, I may not be, I'm foolish sometimes, but I'm, I'm, I'm not dumb. And I said, okay, if you're my father, let's just follow a logical path here. That means you can give me what my earthly father didn't. He had a belly button. He was a man. He's a human being. He wasn't God. He gave me a good start, but he didn't get me. And he's not capable. He's not God to get me to where you are. So, you can give me what my earthly father did not. Okay, now my dad was quite an athlete. Football, basketball, tennis, swimming at letters. I was a short guy in those days. I I didn't measure up. I was not, so I really felt inadequate. Uh, But but tennis, now, one thing I was... A lot of tennis players are not giants like my dad was. So I said, I said, uh, okay, Lord, if you can give me what my dad didn't, um, and it just popped out of my mind, I'm on my knees in my prayer closet, teach me how to play tennis. I thought, that's the stupidest prayer I've ever heard. Going to the God of the universe and one single man. But I thought, oh, I'm going to go with it. I wrote down in my journal, Father God, teach me how to play tennis. I just wrote it away. Well, that's all right, we'll just let go of that. Two weeks later, I'm, I'm, te- I'm pre- pastoring a church in Los Angeles, went to a, a, a large meeting of pastors, new guys got introduced, new pastors in the area got introduced. One guy chatted with me, we hit it off, he wasn't far from me. 
we wrote back together. I'd written up a meeting with another guy. He said, let's drive back together. We started chatting. We had a great time. And he said, Gordon, what do you do for fun in the area? Yes, I'm new. I said, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm working too hard. He said, well, listen, he says, I'm a tennis coach on the side. Would you like to play tennis with me? I thought, what? And I looked a weird look at him. Of course, he says, Gordon, it's okay. What's wrong? Anything wrong? He said, you will teach me how to play tennis? Of course. I'm a tennis coach. I've been doing it for you. I do it on the side as pastor, but I like to do it for fun. You know, Let me tell you what I, happened to me just two weeks ago, brother, when I was on my knees in my prayer closet, begging my father, God, to teach me how to play tennis. I expected, you know, Jimmy Connors to come out of the sky or something. Younger guys can figure out who that is. Big tennis stars that, to teach and knock on my door and say, I'm here to teach you. Guard. No, he sent a tennis coach, and we went out. He taught me how to play tennis, and I got pretty good. And I could almost sense my father saying, well done, son. Well, but in your book, you got pretty good, but you tell a story in your book, and I teased Dale oh, about yeah. this earlier. You said you, you, were be- you were beating this guy in tennis, and, and he came back and beat you, and he said to you, and this is in your book, quote, I knew you wouldn't win because I could tell you didn't expect to. And then you write, so I ran from the lion and lost the game. So why do men, yeah. Gordon, why do men run from the lion instead of running at the lion? Is it because of... A fear of potential failure, or is it because so yeah. few men actually have a model of manhood they can follow? What What have you found? Well, here's the magic word: shame. Shame is a great crippler of men. It's a destroyer of men. It will terrify the, the toughest warrior. Uh, shame. It says you don't measure up. You haven't got what it takes. Mm. And what's worse is they're going to find out. And when they find out, they're going to kick you in the, out, off the team into outer darkness. And there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. So that's what we're afraid of. That's, that's what stirs a man to stop at the gate. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. And here's where the devil really suckers men. Because the truth is, Jesus said the truth, you know, the truth is going to set you free. The truth is you don't measure up. None of one of us measures up. If I could measure up, Everything God called me to do without Jesus, why do you have to die on the cross? Sorry about that, Jesus. You really didn't need to do that. You could have saved yourself a lot of trouble. I'm doing this by myself. No, you don't measure up. Not a one of us does. Not a one of us does. And if it weren't for Jesus, we couldn't have a hope of going to the Father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth receives his true name, Ephesians 3.14. Well, you're, you're talking about fathers, and then in chapter, you know, the importance of that fatherhood and then the father wound. In chapter 2, you, your chapter title is Out of the Womb, and you talk mm-hmm. about in that chapter the feminization of elementary schools and church Sunday schools, and you wrote this on page 21. We men must bless, encourage, and support women who are mothers— but we must not allow them to perpetuate against boys the fantasy that a woman could supplant a father. So there, there's this, there is this feminization that you've acknowledged, but, 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 but you also said that it's a fantasy to think that a woman could supplant what the father does. So the men listening to this podcast, what, can, what would you tell those guys about, about stepping right, into right, this right. role uh, uh, in this feminized world of elementary school and the church, and helping these young boys understand what biblical manhood is. Yeah, I once heard a guy say, if we could have more frogs and slingshots in Sunday school, we'd have no problem <laughs> <laughs> with bringing young men. Yeah, boys. true, true, true. Um, 
Yeah. Um, God bless mothers. I'm, I'm married to one, and yeah. I see her devotion and love for my son. It's overwhelming to me. I'm, I mean, really, when I see, I, and I'm, I'm 74, I mean, it was only about a month ago when I saw her, our son came down, stopped by the house, you know, for dinner. She cooked him the most wonderful dinner. And I was just awed at the love she showed. Because she washed his clothes. I'm thinking, now, don't do that for him. And she looked at me with that look, don't you dare take away from me the one thing I can do for my son right now. And so uh, it's a, a marvelous thing. But there are mothers and there are fathers. And God made it that way. And there are distinct things a, a woman can do for a boy. She can teach him to respect a woman. She can teach him to anticipate a woman's love. That's a good thing when a woman loves you, because mom, when mom loves you, she blesses you, and, 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 and like that. But there's things she cannot impart to a boy that only come from a man. And so people always say to me, well, how can you say that, Gord? Don't dare say that, because there are no men. How can we tell men you need something only a man can give you, and all he sees around the house is the woman, the mother? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's cruel, Gordon. It's cruel if there is no father from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth receives his true name, Ephesians 3.14. It's cruel if there's no other father to go to. Yes. But I, as a Christian, praise God, know the real father, Father Jesus, and the father of all men, and who holds the key to your masculine because he made you before the very foundation of the earth. And he said, I wanted a male child, and I don't make mistakes, and I call you forth as a male child. And you're going to discover, as you start trying to walk in that role, that you don't have what it takes. And when you do, I want you to remember me, son, and come to me and say, Father, I don't have what it takes. I turn on TV, halftime in the ball, and they're all drinking beer. I don't want to get drunk anymore than anybody else. They're all driving the big trucks, and I don't know if that really makes me feel like a man for a little bit. They're all doing these things. They're chasing it. They've got the sexy babes. But that's not doing it for me. Father, if you're really my father, I need you. And that's the point which is, can you do it for yourself? I can't, Father. There's a wonderful story. I, I love this story I heard years ago of, of a very accomplished Christian man uh, went to church all his life, and he, he dies and goes to heaven, and there's St. Peter at the gate. And St. Peter said, oh, we knew you'd be coming. He said, we got the records right here in a book. He looked, well, this says you've been to church every Sunday of your life. You tithe 15%? Wow. You read the Bible, not one, many times? So just give me the password, and you're in. <laughs> the guy said that, password? Yeah, you, 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 you're a Christian. You've said you've been to church all your life, read the Bible. Just give me the password to heaven, and you're right in. Like I think, hey, I didn't know there was a password to heaven. He said, well, aren't you a Christian? Well, oh, no, no, no. oh man, he said, what could it be? He said, it's got to be from the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. And St. Peter goes, oy vey, you know, uh, that's not it. Come on, now, you, is, is this the right? Oh, okay, wait a minute. Um, uh, 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 let's see now. Um, uh, and he tried to think of some, any, uh, any other scripture, you know, and I think another scripture, and the Lord says, that's not either. We must have the wrong guide. So once you go back to the downstairs to where the, the other guy will operate, wait, 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 wait I, I must be able to get this. And so he stops back and says, all right, what's the password? Finally, he just shakes his, goes over to St. Peter, all right, St. Peter, I give up. You know what St. Peter says? Come on in, son. We've been waiting for you. That's the password to the kingdom of God. You want the kingdom of Gordon? You don't give up. You press on until your butt's so deep in water you're drowning. I know that from plenty of experience. 
a real man. I have, a, I have a, people go, what's your definition of a real man, Gordon? I thought, oh, that must be what I go. It's just the Lord gave me. I'm not never forget that. I said, and this is on my website, abbafather.com. A real man is a man who's real. Yeah. It's very simple, but it's not easy to be real in a culture where being real is not safe. You start talking about your wounds. Uh-uh. No, you're a wimp. No, real men don't cry. Guess what? Because when I cried as a boy, my dad said, stop crying or I'm going to hit you again. And I taught, I was taught as a boy not to have feelings, especially sad feelings and feelings that reflected weakness. And I remember a woman said, it had to be a woman, when I was a young man, said, Gordon, what is wrong with you? Don't you have any feelings? She said, when was the last time you cried? And I looked at her like, you're in the headlights. I said, I, I don't remember. And she just shook her hands and threw her hands up in the air, and I was hopeless in her in a woman's eyes. Hmm. And I vowed after that, if you ask me that now, when did you cry, Gordon? You mean before breakfast, lunch, what time of day? Because I can't not be real. Being not real stuffs my whole heart. It, it, it keeps me from what God is calling me to be and to do. Ah, but will the Son of Man find faith on earth when he comes? Um, you'll find plenty of religious guys trying to do it right. God bless you. Keep doing it as long as you... I just see a picture of Jesus there looking at his watch. Oh, son, how long are you going to run away from me, the Lion of Judah? I'm coming to recruit you, not to destroy you. Because if you get in my forces, everything you need will be at hand to accomplish everything I've called you to do. And that shame will disappear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. So we're going to take a quick break and come back uh, after we hear from our sponsor. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots on the ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So you had said earlier, uh, Gordon, you said uh, God calls you out as a male child. And so... and then you were just now we're saying before our break that that Jesus is saying, why are you running from me, the lion, the lion of Judah? And I think there is something to be said about being called out by a man. And in chapter three, Absolutely. to me, to me, chapter three was the most powerful chapter of your book. In fact, I think it was so powerful. I think every man should read that chapter because this will solve a lot of problems i think if we could if we could really figure this chapter out and and you call this chapter it's called come out son of our people and in that chapter you tell a story about um 
uh, a group of Nigerian people called the Edo people. Is that correct? I B O Ebo. Ebo Ebo. Yeah. Yeah. I Ebo yep. people. And you said on page thirty, isn't a mother's place supposed to be safe from all things? Ah. But the call to manhood is an awesome thing, and no mother can protect a boy from it. Will you explain the the uh, Ebo's rite of passage ceremony and and uh, and why my. that's so important for men today? Oh uh, my my my! See, men are looking for that father, that word of the father. See, this is biblical. Yeah. Yep. And God presumes you if you don't know that the word of the father has power to bless you. When you read in the Bible, you don't have a clue what he's saying. You know, I, I always say to my boy, well done, gee, I, I like what you're doing, something to bless him like that, and you can just see him straighten up more. Yeah. So here I go, I'm in a Peace Corps, very rural, no running water, electricity. You know, these are the, they, uh, what was it called, underdeveloped people. Well, let me tell you something, folks. These people were may have been underdeveloped when it comes to electricity and uh, you know, things like that. But when it came to manhood, they knew something I never knew and no other man in my supposedly modern, scientific, advanced culture knew. I remember when I was there, it was all, all boys high, high school out in the bush, and um, one, the boys wanted to know about America, and they said, one of, the, one of the boys came, we were all chatting, and he said, tell me, sir, in your country, America, how is it that the fathers call the boys away from the mother and into the company of men, the fellowship of men. I said, what? Yes, you know, when you, when you grow up, you're a boy, and your mother kind of runs your life, but there's time when the, when the boy needs to go to the men when he becomes a man himself. So how do you do that in your culture that, the, the, um, that you get called away from your mother and out of the women's area into where the men are? And I look, and I'm like, uh, I confess. <laughs> well, see, uh, we have both parents in the foam, and, uh, and that was a polygamous culture, so the wives would live in different little uh, huts, and the father would have the one father. And he, I said, oh, so we don't need to do that kind of stuff. Ha, ha, ha. And it was years later before I finally saw the father longing in myself and so many men, where is the father's blessing? We're not suffering for lack of teaching. That's what they're in, in first generation. We don't, you have many teachers. You know how many fathers that we're looking for that were desperate for a father's blessing? It's like water to a dry soul. So I asked one of my fellow teachers, an Igbo man, what happened when he was initiated into the fellowship of men. So here's the story. A boy grows up in his mother's house. The father, it's not the, the father has his own place of his, and he visits each of the different wives. So he grows up. When he finally reaches man, when it becomes time, and that's the father's judgment. Hello. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, uh, you think Galatians 7, when, when, uh, Galatians 4, because when the time finally came, the, boy, the, boy, the boy's put in charge of other men, the, then he comes out and receives his inheritance. Uh, but there's truth here. Now, they don't know the right God, but they know the real man. And there's things to be learned here, if you're humble. Uh, and I hope all churches will listen and, and go away from this thinking, we need to do something for our boys. Um, so when the time came, the father uh, gathers the men, the, the elders of the village, not the, not the young young bucks, but the elders, of the, the men who've been through the wars, who understand life better. Uh, and in that country, if, if people's average life expectancy in those days is about 35 years old. So if you, you're 60 years old, God's on your side, clearly. Okay. So 
So he gathers them together, and they go out one night, when they decide the time is right, to visit your mother's house and where you live. And they bring with them a very special man, Non is two two actually. Non is the spirit, a spirit guy. He puts a mask on. I don't, again, the wrong spirit. Yes, but it is the spirit of God who calls a boy into manhood. It is a spiritual event which the churches have not acknowledged. Anyhow, the spirit goes and with he goes with him with a drummer, and the drummer comes and when he gets into the comp in the area in front of the boy's house, the mother lives. The drummer picks up a soft kind of beat, soft kind of beat, and all of a sudden, the spirit nods and said, the spirit says the time is ready. The spirit calls the boy. The father doesn't start the thing. The spirit initiates this. And brothers, please listen. Read your Bible. The spirit is calling men. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, the living God revealed in Jesus is saying, come out. Your father is here. And in me, he's given you everything you need to become the man he's called you to be. The spirit nods to the drummer, and it plays a pop, 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 like a machine gun, and the spirit charges your mother's house, and boom, lands against your mother's door. Peace on that door. It's the middle of the night, so you're asleep. Boom, 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 and you awake. You wake up when that spirit hits that door, and that spirit knocks on the door hard. The mother wakes up, and the boy wakes up, and she opens the door, and the boy's standing behind. You're standing behind your mother there. He says, who are you? What do you want? At that point, the father speaks. Now the father has the mother's question to answer. Come out, son of our people. Come out to where the men are. And the men start chanting, come out, come out. And you can't, no, no, no. We've come for your son. No, you can't have him. He's mine. And you can see the boy. He's kind of, wow, this is an adventure here. But he's also scared. This is an awesome, there's a dark night. He's never, there's some fear, there's awesome stuff going on here. And finally, the spirit does not give up. The men never fail. They have come to do a job. If they don't do their job tonight, their village will suffer. There will be no men left in town. And the enemy of God will come in and sweep them. Turn on your Internet. Go to a porn site. See what I'm talking about. All the beer advertisements and other stuff. If we don't do this job, fellow Christians, we're the only ones capable of doing it. The only ones. Because only we have the spirit that is capable and has already called, been sent by the Father to call us out. And so finally, the mother gets the word, these guys aren't going to quit. And she knows, she's, she's smart enough, she knows other mothers who've been through this. So finally, she plays her role, and she steps aside. And suddenly there is nothing between you and the spirit of your ancestors that have called your people into being. And your father says, come out, son, I am here for you. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. We make you out to be some person on a page in a book thousands of years ago, and you're saying, come on out, son. And I have enough elders of the village of the church community who love me and serve me to call you out. And suddenly you step on the threshold of your mother's house, of all that is soft and warm and tender and good. She probably cooked you a good dinner that night. Oh, you can smell that apple pie in the background. Ooh, this is good stuff behind you. But out front of you is something better. It's the best. And it speaks to your masculine soul that's starting to awaken when you hear your father and the men say, come on out, son. We come for you. And the spirit waits. And the drummer waits. Soft bites. And you look back over your shoulder at mom. 
you don't say a word. You look out there at your dad, and he's got a big smile on his face. And you take that one step outside your mother's house. You know how the spirit is not allowed to go inside your mother's house and grab you and drag you out. No, no, no. You must make that choice. You must decide that whatever is behind me is good. And I thank God. I honor my mother for it. But now I honor my father, and if I don't, and in that process, I honor the manhood and masculine in me. When you take one step out and indicate to the men, I'm with you, I will do, I will trust you, I will come, bam, the spirit grabs you, and then the spirit pulls you over the man. Yeah, 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 and you can hear them in the you when they, they get their man. A great cheer goes up, and they go off into the woods, and the boy takes two weeks basically to be initiated and be taught what it's like to be a man, how to farm, he begins with cool, how to shoot a gun, how to do, and hunt, hunt all the stuff that he needs to be a man. Well, and then, and then he's circumcised. He's circumcised, yes, he, indeed, he's... because there are, yeah, and, uh, yeah, there has to be some, something painful about it that causes memory. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting. So he's circumcised, he's given a house, he's given a gun, he's given a piece of farmland, and he's given a hoe. At, at, to work that land. So why? So why are? So why are these things so significant as gifts? Because these are what these are things that men do. Yeah, that's that's. And that never. These are things that men do. They provide. Uh, I'm not saying women don't do some work. For sure they do. But these are the things in that particular context define a man. And these men have, over the years, generations have come to that conclusion. And to me, this challenges the Church of God. In, in America, have we done our homework? Have we decided what is it to be a man in, in the sight of our God? Well, and, and are we ready yeah. to train young boys in that? Well, and it's for a woman to understand when she's a woman, that's easy. She gets her period. She has. The, she can now bear children. But what is the rite of passage for young boys? You know, young there boys want to be called out. They want to come out into mm-hmm. manhood, which I'll tell you what— uh, I, when I read a book, I think, what are the things I'm never going to forget from this book? And the thing I'm never going to forget from this book is your perspective on Luke chapter 2, verse 24. It's the last story when we read of Jesus as a boy, and his parents uh, went into mm, Jerusalem, yeah, and sure, they're, go, they're sure, going, they, sure can't, they can't find Jesus. Where's Jesus? In Luke 20, 2, 24, they find him in the temple talking to the scholars, and Mary says, son, why have you, been, why have you done this to us? And I thought yeah. that was amazing because you your oh, spin yeah, you on hurt it, your mom. yeah, your spin on it was was really really wonderful. You said, "Well, Jesus knew he had to be in the presence of men who were pursuing the Father." You know that that last story is so important. Will you share your thoughts on this event? This is when when uh, Jesus has to make his uh, make his move as a man. He's twelve. Says yeah, very significant, very significant age. His body's stirring, and uh, he's getting old enough. He has authority already from God and the other men. And his mother says, what have you done to us? Isn't it just, let's just say, just like a parent, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't think of us. You just ran off. Why did you tell us where you're going and leave your cell number and, you know, and tell us your plans so we would know everything you're doing? And he said, didn't you realize, parentheses, I'm a man now. And my business is to be about my father's business, and that's why I'm here. And there's places where the people say to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and your father are all outside waiting for you to go back home where it's nice, and mom's got a, an apple pie waiting for you, you know, something very nice that you like, your best 
you know, uh, food that you like. And Jesus says, who are my mothers, my fathers, who are my family? It is those who are surrendered to the living God and commit to following him. That is the key that every, every, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. If you don't leave your father and mother, I'm not, I'm not saying curse them, not dang diss them, honor them, yes, but leave them in the sense of, of trusting God for, for his plan in your life. If you don't leave them, then you will recreate exactly what they had in their marriage, and that may be good, it may be bad, but that's what you get. And God has called each man to a, a unique calling, built upon the gifts he's given you through your dad and your mom, but it's, it's, it's not the same thing. Uh, yeah, well, we'll speak. So, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, you said speaking of leaving your father and mother, in chapter four, page forty-seven, you wrote something very powerful. I'd like you to unpack for us. You said a mother's primary value is to save her children from her child from pain. A father's primary value is to facilitate his child's destiny. But there needs to be va- balance. How do we find the balance between the yeah, two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See. Uh, the home is the secure place, and we need that. God's provider. You need to know you're secure, and security with the mother means she feeds you when you cry. She's there for you. She hears your needs. You know, and that doesn't mean I can. I certainly went to my son when I cried. Talk about that and uh, fight like a man. Uh, my other book, uh, but you know, uh, this is where you learn security. Let's face it. Like you said, women get not only have periods, they get pregnant. They do things that men can't do. And uh, that, that forms a bond between the son and the mother that just cannot be topped. It's, it's organic. It's body. At one time in your life, you were one with the mother and her body. Okay. Uh, but the time comes uh, when uh, you need to step away from her and realize that life does not exist, not in the mother anymore, but it's in the father. And that's a, for a man. Uh, but you carry tools, shall we say, experiences, hopefully, positive experiences that will enable you in the journey the Father's calling you to, primarily to be able to love a woman. If, you, your, if your mother has been there for you, you, you feel like women are safe and you can do that. But uh, to move into um, your manhood like that uh, is not a matter of security anymore, because you're stepping out beyond the village. Uh, and there are trolls under the bridge that lead out of the village. Read the old, there, there are, are demons, there are, are powers that say, no, go back in the village. You don't want to go out there. There's, 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 there's bad stuff out there. You're going to get hurt, you're going to get lost. Nobody's there for you. And all the, all the great mythologies have that, and there's always a spirit guide. They're, they're copycatting Jesus, and a poor, poor, poor example of that. Jesus says, I've called you in my spirit, and I will provide what you need. So the Father says, I created you for a purpose, for a destiny. And I, have, I promised to equip you. I could, not, I could not legitimately do that without promising to equip you in that destiny. And that's why I've sent my spirit. And so the Father's job is to open the vistas, to blow open the gates and say, let's get out there in the world together. And he does this for daughters, too, I might add. Mary, my wife Mary, will talk all about that in her ministry. But, um, and I have a chapter on fathers and daughters and healing and medicine and so on. But the Father opens the door. Come on out, son. You know, I, well, I remember when I took my son, uh, we, went, we, we he was about five years old, and we set up a tent in the backyard. By the time he was eight or nine, I said, let's go out to the woods. We went to, to camp. Mom didn't want to do that, and that's okay. She went along with it one time. We went to a little campground thing. But and, uh, I take him out into the world. 
I take them with me to conferences I do. I take them into my office and show them how I write the books. I take them out there like that, and, 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 and he begins to get a sense that he belongs in the world. And the world is going to be a good place because Daddy has been there, and he'll be with me as I go in out in the world. And he thanks his mother. He's grateful to his mother. He respects his mother and honors her for all she gave him to equip him at her job in that part. But the father's job is to watch for what God is doing in his son and his daughter and bless it. When my boy came to me one time, he was two years old. He was he was right ahead of the game in his, his language. But he said, Daddy, I, I, I said, what's wrong, son? Looking down at him, he said, I, 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 got, I, want to, I want to say something. Well, uh, say it, son. I said, but Daddy, I, I, I don't have a word for it. <laughs> I said, oh, son, you come to the right place, baby. I said, <laughs> you're going to get words, son, don't you? I get him little kitty dictionaries, joke books, feed him with words, with words. So he's like, Daddy, that's enough. I don't want any more. But, I mean, I could see God was, I didn't jam that into him. He was just watching Daddy, seeing what Daddy did, liking it, realizing he could do it himself. And I blessed it in him. And when I did, he wanted to do that. Before long, in high school, he would have kids calling him from his English class, helping them correct their essays before they sent them into the teacher. Wow, that's really good, man. Well, we've, we're running short on time, Gordon, but I did want to oh, touch on another. I know it goes fast. I wanted to touch on another chapter that you you mentioned that I thought was very powerful called Warrior Redeemer, Chapter 8. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I agree with you. I believe that real men cry. I mean, that's a regular thing for me, uh, shedding tears, being able to express yourself uh, in a real and authentic way. Uh, early in your book, you talked about this old macho image, and when I when I read that and you, the way you explained it was really good, but there's I think there's a reason why we default to that because inside of a man you know uh, a guy who you inspired john eldridge wrote in his book wild at heart that when god made adam he made him in the wilderness and then put him back in the garden you know we have this wild thing we have this warrior redeemer part of our lives and i thought you explained it really really well you know you said on page 116 you asked a question and then you answered it you said can the warrior exist without killing and destruction. Can you talk about the answer to that question? Yeah, there is, we are made. We are warriors. We men are warriors. That was just made that way. And all the, all my great peace and love hippie efforts to prove that no, no, it's just a tolerance. Just whatever you want to do is fine. There's no war. And no, there's no such thing as sin or brokenness. We're all love, love, love. It didn't work. It doesn't work. And those who try it know that if they're if they're real men. We find that we have a fierceness within us, and the women are begging for it. Not the old fierceness of going to beat and hurt people in violence. It's a fierceness that says, this has got to stop. I remember when I said to Mary, we were fighting each other. I couldn't, we couldn't get it. I said, this is going to stop. I said, we're going to the Father. I took her hand. We got down and knelt down at the foot of our bed, and I said, come on, Father. You've got to come and do something here, because all we can do is hurt each other. You brought us together. We're so grateful. Come on, Father. And I was fierce with the Father on that. I said, you must come right now. And speak to us, and he did. Well, it's interesting because you, as you in your book, you move into from one sixteen to one twenty two, and you ask another question: Does Jesus exhibit the character traits of the ideal warrior? And mm-hmm. Jesus never killed anyone, and those traits are listed on page one one twenty two: courage, daring, righteousness, camaraderie, fellowship, discipline, determination, strength, action, and energy, glory, and appropriation. Uh, appropriation. 
uh, anger rightly focused, an enemy, uh, an opponent, opponent overcome, and and all of these things Jesus did, all of these qualities yeah. that are uh, fighter provider, that are warrior redeemer qualities, and I and I think that what I took away from that chapter, Gordon, was that a healthy image of warrior redeemer does not necessarily does not mean that we have to be this macho man you know wielding a sword but there's something deeper that the goal of the warrior is redemption not destruction yeah. exactly and you know a, a, a word of knowledge or, or, or faith even is is, is is the word of the holy spirit i mean so there's a time to be fierce yes in defense of and promotion of god's agenda in someone's life and my son god bless him the best greatest blessing I've had in a long time. He came in, he was willing to apply to another job, and he talked it over, and I, I just knew he was excited because it paid mega bucks. And uh, I don't blame him, he's young, you know, but I said, I said, son, this is not, not good for you. I see this, I know this area where you're going, and I, I really was as fierce as I could be with him, and I, I was surprised at myself, and my, I could see <laughs> Mary, Mary was not too pleased, but that was two weeks ago, and I got a text from him yesterday. He said, Dad, I decided to uh, to uh, go with your advice, and I'm not going to apply that. I found a few other things about the company I really don't want to work for. So, and I was worried. Oh, that I was I too fierce and too hard. There is a time, and it's the spirit that determines that. When you speak with a fierceness, says I, your father, and I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to get in a situation which I, from experience, know this will not be good for you, son or my daughter. Don't go out with that guy, my daughter. I love you too much. I carried you when you were no bigger than a football. I love you so dearly. Please think twice before you do this. I, I, I mean, there, there are. It's, it's a solid pr- protection and and to help the boy and or the, or the daughter stay on the track for the destiny that God has for them. Well, and I've got to thank Gordon that that we are supposed to be at times as men fierce uh, as opposed to passive. You know, assertive as opposed to weak, uh, because uh, you had said it in your book. You said that 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 we live today. That, that you, you mentioned the phrase "soft male," and I think that male softness comes when they have an overemphasis of the feminization of mother with the absent uh, absenteeism of father. That father yeah. speaks that destiny with fierceness into the heart of his son and the hearts of his heart of his daughters. And so I, I love uh, you quoted Dallas Willard on your book, and I love what Dallas Willard said because the pushback from our our, our feminized society is, hey, you guys, what if you go off the deep end? I, I had a friend recently tell me, oh, you're into that macho stuff. And I love Dallas Willard's response. He said, I often say to those concerned about going off the deep end. Have you ever considered what happens to those who go off the shallow end? And I think this is this is the issue that you brought up in your book, that when we go off the shallow end, we're not allowing men to become boys, but we're stopping them halfway down. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're yeah, di- I'm not, uh, Bless your mom. Get, and if, brothers, let me tell you right now, before you go ahead with what we're talking about right now, I challenge you to ask you, show my, my mom the way you see her, and you're going to see a woman who gave to you time you didn't even know. Her heart was breaking, she's praying, whatever it was, and you go and thank your mom. Here's what I want to thank you for. That, that's essential, that, that you want to live long land about to occupy. But when you step out, 
towards your destiny, you're going to encounter powers that are not too keen on a man finding his destiny. Because now, when yep. you connect with your destiny in the Lord, you're going to you're going to you're going to be an enemy of the father of lies. You're going to be speaking the truth that sets you free, and they don't want that. Okay, so you better have some fierceness if you're going to leave the village and succeed in what God's called you. Well, and you know, it's funny, earlier in the book and in the interview we talked about, you know, men are the problem. Men are the problem. And the world is very, very fast to point out that, men, you're the problem. But logically, doesn't it make sense then, if men are the problem, aren't they also the solution? Well, let's back up a bit. First of all, one of the reasons it's easy to say men are the problem because men have dominated the culture and society. I remember I talked, and so if there's a problem, it must be the man that did it, because there were no else. The women didn't have a voice. Yeah. I talked to a 23-year-old 20, 20, dental assistant recently, we were just getting away, and I, I just sort of went to mess with her a little bit. I said, do you know my grandmother wasn't allowed to vote? It was illegal for her to, she said, what? Why not? And I said, I'll give you a clue, she was not a felon, so she was in jail. And I let, it was illegal because she was a woman. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard of such a thing. You never heard. Of it. So the, the reason men are the easy focus is because we run the show. Okay. Now, when women are starting to take leadership, guess what? Women are sinners too. Yes. Uh, yeah. I didn't get any lightning bolt, so I guess I'll continue. <laughs> yes. And any man who's lived with a live with a woman knows it. Any woman who lives with a man knows men are sinners. That's what we're made of. That's 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 what God came to to say with for in Jesus. And the more women take over authority, where they're going to show, I'm so grateful. They're going to show a side that has been missing, sadly, for too long. 50% of the population left out of the decision-making. But we're all going to also going to see women who, who sin and do things that are not. It, it, they're welcome to the human race. Uh, but I, 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 there's no, no question about it. We men have done some very, very wounding things to women. And uh, I, I, I like to sometimes stand in the gap with some women and say, will you forgive me for the, the, the sexist thoughts I had? I thought you couldn't. Mary Moyes, Mary's PhD in psychology, master in psychiatric nursing, ran the psych ward Beverly Hills Hospital for years. She's a um, very highly skilled professional. And I have a new book we've just, just about finished with called 10 Things She Said That Made Me Want to Marry Her. And one of, one of them was, uh, which is, I need a man who's as strong as I am. Mm. And I, whoa. But I know, I knew that I thanked her for saying that to me because now we know where we are. And I said, okay, Jesus, you are on. This is your gig, Jesus. You're going to make me stronger. Not, not to put her in her... But to me, sometimes say, wait a minute, honey, I hear what you're saying, but I got something to bring to the table, too. We need to listen to both of us. And we finally can't get it, then we go to Jesus. We ask him what's going on. But I will also have an agenda at times. Yeah, and other times yeah. I'll have an agenda, but I'll, but I'll just say, you know what? This is so important to her, Father... I yield that to her, and I'll say, Tony, I, 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 don't, I don't mind. If that's what you want to do, I'll bless it, and you know, like that. But if I don't have that in my toolbox, if I can never say to her, that's enough. We've got to stop this right now. And go, I'm not as strong as she is, and she will not like me. Yeah, she won't respect you either. And, you know, it's really, right. we, we need strong women in our society. Our, our, our men in the arena of ministry is very, very pro-woman. Uh, we believe in strong women. We believe that weak women hurt the men. But we also believe that men need to step up and, and take on that, that role and mantle God has given. You know, God is calling men out of the hut. He's calling them out of the hut. 
and he's calling them into manhood. So, hey, Gordon, thanks so much for taking the time today and sharing your wisdom and experience. Had a great. Hey, we covered a lot of ground today. <laughs> Boy, well, just like the book you said, I got. We had a we had a we had a, a smorgasbord. Huh? Yeah, uh, we did. Well, so, buffet, buffet, buffet. Yeah. <laughs> so what we, we Jim, so, you're good. So now we've got to figure out for the guys what's our boots on the ground moment. And so, I think a very appropriate boots on the ground, guys, this week is this. I want you to go back to your church. Uh, if you're not involved in the church, I want you to think about your own family uh, and fa- fa- your your community. And I want you to start a rite of passage for the young men uh, in your church or in your community. Find a way to make this happen. In our church, we do it when the boys are seniors in high school, getting ready to graduate. We have a whole ceremony that we uh, walk them through. It's very, very simple, very, very powerful. Gordon uh, has it written out in his book. You can read about it in his book. Uh, If you want to know more about it, you can also ask me, and I can tell you what we do. But we want you guys to push to make sure a rite of passage happens for the young boys in your church and your community. Guys, we'll post that Boots on the Ground action item in our weekly Equipping Blast for Men, which you can get by visiting meninarena.org. Give us your email. We'll give you a free copy of my book, my bathroom book for men, and we will also uh, get you plugged in here on our weekly equipping blast. So, guys, did you know that we are a nonprofit organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version? And because of guys like you who support this ministry, we are able to freely offer this podcast, Equipping Blast, discussion forums, plus our small group resources for missionaries and men in underdeveloped nations. You can find out more about how to do that at menandarena.org. Until next time. Feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Have a rite of passage for the young boys. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.